0: The Mystery and Murder of Barbara Blackstone, Linden Station, Wisconsin, 1987. It was obvious that the memories weighed heavy on him. Three decades of knowing too much. 30 years of wondering if he should have pushed harder, all while carrying guilt for situations out of his control. Sitting across from him as he recalled the past, you could almost feel a heaviness in the room lifting as his memories painted a picture many may not stomach well. There were missteps. A lot of things that should have never happened, said the once member of the Juneau County Sheriff's Office. These are words I wrote going on almost three years ago when I was a reporter in Juneau County, Wisconsin, and I was covering the 30th anniversary of the unsolved murder mystery around Barbara Blackstone who was killed in 1987. The man I was sitting across took a risk the previous week. He had phoned me after I had done an article about Barbara. Barbara was a beloved teacher in New Lisbon, New Lisbon, Wisconsin. She taught at the high school. And in the summer of 1987, she came up missing. A month later, her body would be found over 70 miles away, naked and skeletal remains. Ever since, it's been a mystery for the people of Juno County on what exactly happened to the teacher they love so much. The woman who's been described as cheerful, helpful, not a mean bone in her body. Everything you always hear in murder mysteries like this, except, except as I would discover, There was a lot of stuff happening around that county in the late 80s and early 90s. And this man I was speaking to, this former member of the Juneau County Sheriff's Department. He was weighed down with guilt. Guilt that didn't belong to him. But guilt because he felt like he didn't do enough at the time. He didn't do enough, he felt to solve the murder mystery of Barbara Blackstone. When I got on the scene, he said, he knew something was not right. There were people everywhere, walking around the property and in the house. The scene was not secured. A makeshift search party had already been formed. I said that the scene should be cleared and a detective called in. But that didn't happen, he explained. Something wasn't right. Why would her car be parked down by the shed? Why was her purse still on the table in the house? I asked the sheriff, and he said that she just didn't take her license when she left. I responded by saying, what woman leaves her purse behind? I should have pushed harder, he said. Last week, the messenger interviewed Gervis Thompson, who stated that when he arrived at the scene, he felt there had been no foul play and there was nothing suspicious. Yes, those are the words that I wrote almost three years ago when interviewing this once member of the Juneau County Sheriff's Department. It was hard sitting across from him he had tears in his eyes, and he was taking a risk telling me all that he did. I, My heart went out to him. But little did I know, little did I know I'd be sitting there discovering so much more from him and from just research, general research around that time. The woman he was talking about is Barbara Blackstone, who, who on July 9th, 1987 disappeared from her rural Linden Station home on Delmore Road. Almost a month later, her skeletal remains would be found over 75 miles away in Lafayette County. Barbara was found by a hunter scouting a section of woods. She was just 30 years old at the time of her death, a tragedy that sent shockwaves throughout Juneau County. A beloved teacher from New Lisbon High School was gone forever. Due to the state of decompensation, the coroner was unable to list the cause of her death. However, he did determine that she had died 25 to 30. It was about six months later I thought we may have had a break in the case, he said. The retired officer of law went on to speak about a cold winter's night in New Lisbon, Wisconsin. It was January of 1988. A van had been parked at Young's Truck Stop in New Lisbon. A situation led to the plates being run on what was referred to as a creeper van. According to online records, the driver of that van, 30-year-old Joseph D. Schmidt of New Lisbon. He would end up being charged and convicted of a misdemeanor. Carrying a concealed weapon. Unfortunately, the actual court records for the case are no longer held by the Juneau County Clerk of Courts. After 20 years, Mr. Meaner case files are destroyed. However, the memories of that night have been burned into the memory of law enforcement on the scene. Inside the van were handcuffs, ropes, magazines on bondage. There was a rope tied in a hangman's noose. And the stench, a strong, odd smell, he stated. I was called away from the scene, but I told them we needed to secure and impound the van, that it might be related to the Blackstone case, he said. I shouldn't have trusted it to someone else. You know where they put it? They parked it in the garage at the New Lisbon Fire Department, he explained. The next morning, people were all around it. And when the Department of Criminal Investigations came up from Madison and got on the scene to process the van, they said there was nothing they can do. Evidence had been contaminated. I remember the disgust on his face as he explained all that happened. He, he went on to say it would be a few years later, Schmidt would be charged and convicted of multiple felony accounts, including holding a woman for days and repeatedly sexually assaulting her, brutally. The case he was talking about, well, it made national news in 1991. Associated Press referred to it as the sex slave case. According to news reports at the time, then 34-year-old Schmidt was facing trial for charges involving a 19-year-old new Lisbon woman who had said he held her in chains at his town of Linden House over a four-day period in early February of 1991. She went on to claim he had numerous forced sexual contacts with her. According to the 1991 criminal complaint, the victim had been platonic friends with Schmidt. Under the guise of having her watch his young son, she went willingly with him to the to the rural home on Highway 1216. With her was her own young child. She went to his home on the evening of February 2nd, 1991. She watched his son while he went off to work. Early the next morning is when things turned. According to the victim, she awoke to Schmidt forcing her onto her stomach and handcuffing her. He handcuffed her, to her wrist to a bed frame from a pull-out sofa. She was able to struggle herself free as the handcuffs broke. It was then, she claimed, that Schmidt used the chains and padlocks to secure her hands behind her back. He then used the chain around her neck and secured her to the bed frame with a padlock. Once she was immobilized, she said, he produced a handgun and pointed it at her child, who was just an infant. According to her, he said, I got you both and you're going to do what I tell you to do. She went on to say that he then indicated to her he was going to keep her for the next 24 hours and make her a sex slave. The criminal complaint went on to describe that various sexual assaults took place over the next four days. On February 6, 1991, he removed the chains and allowed her to leave. He then reportedly told her that she should kill him, that she should kill him for what he had done to her. Now, I'm gonna interject here. As I said, I was a reporter in Juneau County, Wisconsin. And as I was researching this article, I found out the name of the victim and I tried tracking her down. I ended up tracking her down through her mother But unfortunately, that victim was no longer alive. She had died, and according to her mom, she never got over this attack. Her mom thought maybe this attack is what ended her life early. Additionally, I found out through her mother something that sent chills through my body. It sent chills through my body as a woman. It sent chills through my body as a reporter. I'm reminded of it again this February. Here I am in 2020. Every February, I am reminded of the Barbara Blackstone story, the mystery, and everything else that took place. One day I'll explain all of that too. But here, I'm going to tell you something that shook me to the core. Yes, I was living in rural General County when I was writing this. A small community, 25,000 people in the county. Her mother, she was living in Illinois, where I used to live, where I grew up. Her mother went on to tell me something that still to this day fascinates me. Fascinates me and scares me. I found out that they lived about a half a block to a block from where I grew up. That woman who he kept as a sex slave grew up near me, was a neighborhood kid. I'll never forget her telling me that because what are the chances? What were the chances that I may have known her. Now the words I read, read, wrote. Sorry. <laughs> continue on. Schmidt, who was represented by Moss and attorney Danny Burkos, claimed he was innocent and the 19-year-old vic- victim had consented to the sexual encounters. The jury deliberated for approximately five hours when returning and finding him guilty of kidnapping false imprisonment, four counts of first-degree sexual assault, and six counts of sexual contact. At the time, he was facing a maximum penalty of 225 years in prison. A pre-sentencing investigation was ordered for the upcoming sentencing hearing. Transcripts from the sentencing hearing revealed additional information on Schmidt including a comment that the victim had said. According to that comment, he had said he had killed before. There was also much discussion about a 1978 case in Skokie, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago. It was that case that touched on our interview with the former Juneau County Sheriff's Officer. After some research... I located the 1978 article from the Skokie Life newspaper. The article gave an overview of when Schmidt had been arrested for unlawful restraint, contributing to the sexual delinquency of a minor, and battery stemming from a reported July 1978 attack involving two young girls ages 13 and 14. Schmidt would have been twenty one years old at the time. The article went on to state that Schmidt was arrested after one of the girls picked him up uh, picked him out of a lineup. Police reported that the girls had been hitchhiking in Chicago when Schmidt, along with another male, picked them up. The men allegedly took the girls to Schmidt's mother's house where the all four spent the night. The men slept in a bedroom and the girls slept on the couch. The next morning, the other male left, supposedly. However, one girl reported that when she and her friend attempted to leave, Schmidt tied them up and sexually assaulted her. He released them later that day, she told authorities. As for the other girl, her parents didn't give her permission to speak with the police. According to the information in the sentencing transcripts, the 1978 charges against Schmidt were dropped, just suddenly dropped. From my research, I couldn't ascertain the reason as to why. As for the 1991 case, Schmidt ended up being sentenced to 85 years. He is currently serving out those years at Waupun Correctional Institute in Wisconsin. His maximum discharge date is February 5th, 2076. He is also listed on the Wisconsin Sex Offenders Registry. However, Schmidt is up for parole this May. I remember that he was known to hang out at Young's truck stop in New Lisbon, the officer said. I always wondered if maybe he spotted Blackstone there. Or perhaps he befriended her there. I don't know. Sometimes the teachers from school would go there for coffee or some food. It was a popular place, he said. As to whether or not Schmidt was ever considered a suspect in the unsolved murder of Barbara Blackstone, that is a question we are, I am unable to answer officially at this time. The 30-plus-year-old mystery is considered an open investigation. And when I interviewed um, Juneau County Sheriff Brent Olson at the time, back three, almost three years ago, he was unable to confirm nor to deny whether or not Schmidt was a, a, a suspect and what the status was. Yes, this case sent shivers down my spine. For so many reasons. you see Schmidt, he lived in Skokie for a while, not too far from where I had a best friend. And to know this girl lived in my neighborhood at the same time I did, at the same time I did, it was just dumbfounding. I didn't know what to think when her mother told me that. It said, what are the chances? What were the chances? This case has bothered me for many, many years. There's so much more to this case. Do I feel the sex slave case is connected? I actually do. Can I say that for sure? No. But considering everything else that we're going to find out about this, what my research showed, some other cases, it's definitely worth pondering. Now, I started noticing something as I researched something that I, th- I believe started showing a pattern, at least a pattern of occurrences in Juneau C- County. I mean, this is a county where there's not much crime. Now there's a lot, you know, you get drug crimes. You might get um, robberies at vacation homes along the lake. But there's not a lot of violent, and I mean violent crimes, in Juneau County. I worked as a reporter for the paper, Starting in two thousand five, two thousand six, and continued on there until I was an editor for the last two years of its existence, and it closed its doors in uh, May June of uh, two thousand sixteen. I can literally count on half a hand <laughs> the number of murders I covered in that time frame. It was considered a quaint, rural Wisconsin town a place that Illinois people loved to visit. People from from Minneapolis would come down. It was an rec- outdoor recreational haven. Hunting, fishing, you name it, it had it. Beautiful, beautiful scenery. That's what called me there. Well, I hope you remembered that Barbara, she was killed, or I'll say she was taken In July of 1987, that sex slave case was February of 1991. And like I said before, February, every February, even from before I knew these stories, and I just knew about Barbara, for some reason in February, I start thinking about her case. Well. When I discovered the sex slave case back in back in uh, 2017, on the 30th anniversary of Barbara's murder, I discovered another case. The date of that case, February of 1989. Now I had heard rumors about this, off and on over the years rumors that kind of stuck out in my head because it always bothered me that the name this case had. Frozen Betty. They called her Frozen Betty. I always thought that was degrading. But when I did my research, I would find out even more. You see, according to news reports, in February of 1989, a frozen, partially clothed woman was found by two Amish kids on their way home from school. Authorities had believed she had been murdered. Murdered. Another one in February. Her body was found off a of county highway A near Clifton. March third, nineteen eighty nine, the Stevens Point Journal article stated that investigators identified the woman as Betty. Wilson, also known as Betty Jean, and I hope I'm saying this last name right, Kowczynski, was 28 years old at the time of her death. She had come from the Chicago area. Think about that. February, Chicago. Victim of the sex slave case? Came from the suburbs of Chicago. The convicted sex offender in that case also came from Chicago. So now here we are in February of nineteen eighty nine, and we got another murder victim on the border of Juno County and Monroe County outside of the town near Clifton. And she too came from Chicago. That newspaper article I just talked about, well, they went on to report that the authorities believed she had not been killed at the scene, but was rather murdered elsewhere and then dumped. She was believed to have been killed sometime between December 15, 1988 and January 15, 1989. She was identified by dental records. Records. An Associated Press article appeared in March 4, 1989. Her mother was interviewed. Her mother was quoted saying that she had not seen her daughter in two to three years. However, did speak with her in November, a few months before her body was located. The mother went on to say that she hadn't realized her daughter had been missing and knew of no reason why her daughter would be in the area of Wisconsin. She continued on to say that her daughter didn't drive. Her daughter didn't drive. Her murder also remains unsolved. Please remember all this, these dates. Please also remember Chicago. These young women like this one Now, I did find out some things off the record about this young lady. Things that were disturbing. She was a troubled young lady. She got herself into supposedly, allegedly, this is all allegedly, perhaps some drugs and prostitution. She was troubled. Now, I want you to think back to that sex slave case and the young woman there who survived that but eventually died too young. The young woman that grew up in the same neighborhood as I did as a kid. She, too, had some issues. And there was no coincidence that she was in Wisconsin along with Schmidt. You see, Schmidt had befriended her, according to her mother and others, in Illinois. He offered to take her up to Wisconsin to give her a chance to rebuild her life. It was platonic, supposedly. Are these coincidences? I don't know. As for Betty, her case still remains unsolved. It's also considered open. Now, There were some other things I discovered during that time when I covered um, the Barbara Blackstone murder. One of those things was, and this one takes place, now remember, I said Barbara came up missing in July. This one also takes place in the summer months. However, this one was in July of 1988. Newspaper and other media archives paint the picture in their reports. A picture of terror that stretched into the preceding years. And it was just about a year after Barbara disappeared. Just about a year in July of 1988 and It was out by Saint Patrick's Catholic Cemetery, off of Highway twenty uh, off of Highway twelve sixteen, in Mauston, Wisconsin. This time, the offender reportedly pointed a pistol at a woman and told her to get into his van, a van that which was described as being blue in color. The woman refused, at which time it is alleged. The man grabbed her hair and arm, attempting to force her into the vehicle. That is when the woman started screaming and sat down on the pavement. She did so in an effort to stop the offender from dragging her into the van. She wrapped her arms around his legs and continued to scream. It was at that time the suspect released and told her to run. She didn't listen. Rather, she stayed on that pavement and kept screaming. He took off in his van, driving east, east towards Linden Station on Highway 1216. After he left, she took off to a nearby residence. Now, there was a witness to this. There was a witness. Being a small community, it didn't take me too long to locate the woman from that 1988 attempted abduction. I wanted her story from her own words. However, my search for her was a few years too late. She too had already passed. In my search to locate her, I had heard rumors that she had mental health Issues and some questioned the validity the whether or not her um account was valid. But I was able to locate a family member, a sister, who confirmed the incident did happen. And like I said, there was a witness at the time. And that over the years that alleged victim suffered the also the memories of the trauma. The police at the time did take the incident seriously and even released to a media a sketch and description of the suspect. He was described to be in his late 30s, about six feet tall, maybe, wavy, medium-length, dark hair. He had wide shoulders and a narrow waist. He was wearing a button-down shirt, jeans, and a silver necklace. The pistol he believed that was believed that he had been using was a twenty-two caliber. The initial news report stated that the authorities were not yet connecting the incident to Barbara's murder from a year before. However, according to a report in the August 21st, 1988, Wausau Daily Herald, the suspect in question was wanted by the Juneau County authorities for questioning in the attempted abduction of two women that past month. That was curious to me that it said two women. And it also stated as well for the investigation into the slaying of the woman, of a woman in the prior year that had to be Barbara. As to the other attempted abduction mentioned in the report, what happened in the, to that incident is a question that's still unanswered. I tried to find out, but I couldn't. No one knew. And unfortunately, where Juneau County once kept their records, was a flood. A lot of those records were lost. So you can see here we have Barbara Blackstone in July of nineteen eighty seven. We have this woman in of July nineteen eighty eight where it was an attempted abduction. Then we have Betty Someone referred to, degradingly, as Frozen Betty that was discovered in February of 1989 in the sex slave case, February of 1991. It's chilling. Like I said, Juneau County? Stuff like this doesn't happen there. In all the years of my reporting, stuff like this never happened like this. Now, I must tell you that also in 1987, when Barbara was killed, there were some other strange events going on in neighboring counties. And, And people have been arrested in those. But these? The only one where there was arrest in Juneau County for all of these? was in 1991, Joseph D. Schmidt for the sex slave case. Yeah, Barbara's story haunts me. And it haunts me in ways that I'm not yet prepared to explain here. Some of you may understand, some of you wouldn't. But pay attention. We're going to keep looking at Barbara's case. And I'm going to keep talking about it. Because I have this gut feeling. I know who did it. And it's not the rumors that others have heard that might have been the husband. I don't know. There's, there's pieces of the puzzle to me. And I'm just an amateur, granted, that fit together. I hope and I pray that one day Barbara finds justice and she'll be able to rest. But until then, I'm going to keep telling her story because there's one thing for sure. She was murdered and she was dumped. Betty from Chicago. She was murdered. She was dumped. Two other women The woman out by the cemetery in July 1988 suffered a trauma that she never got over. The victim of the sex slave's case in 1991, she also suffered a trauma she never got over. And both of them died without justice. So this is the end of the podcast for tonight. There will be more. Because there's a lot more to these cases. I also want to take time to talk about Barbara. I, you know, you see, it always bothered me that whenever the paper would do a story, it was always, oh, the review of a cold case. But we tended not to look at the person herself. I did when I did the 30 year anniversary. And since then, I've heard from other people who knew Barbara for the wonderful woman, the dedicated teacher, and the loving wife, and the sister missed by her siblings. So yes, we're going to continue on telling Barbara's story. I'm not going to let this die. Like, unfortunately, they did without closure. Thank you for listening. My name is Eva Marie Woywood. I no longer report. Now I'm just a, a mom with an autoimmune disorder and an advocate for for um victims of abuse. But this story, still haunts me.